Um, so visually, um, I want you to think of the word mighty. And what comes to mind when you think of the word mighty? Can't be a mouse. I know some of you are like, immediately went to the mouse, didn't you? You went to mighty mouse, right? But mighty, mighty actually means great and impressive power or strength. Great or impressive power or strength. So what comes to your mind when you think of mighty? I want to show you a visual because this probably does come to your mind, and it may not be the first thing you think about, but this visual probably comes to your mind when you think of something mighty. And I'm going to make you all mad because they ain't open today. Sorry. I know, right? I know how mighty this is in the life of people because every time you ask, what's your favorite fast food? Chick-fil-A. What's your favorite fast food? Chick-fil-A. Number one, Chick-fil-A with that pickle, right? Well, the thing about mighty is when something is mighty, you become captured by it. You look at it and you're like, that's, that's awesome. Well, I'm going to lose some friends over this. There's another sandwich in my life. It is the Popeye's chicken sandwich. I know I'm going to divide a room. I intentionally did that. No, but I'm t- they are open today. If you want to go get one, you can get one. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I will tell you this. They are very inconsistent, okay? I want to make you, I'm going to make you very aware. Chick-fil-A, the thing that we trust about Chick-fil-A is when you go to Chick-fil-A, you're going to get a chicken sandwich, and you know it's going to be good. But I want to say this. I have been calling Chick-fil-A out on this because they're not talking about this publicly. They have made their chicken sandwiches smaller and have not said a thing <laughs> to you and me. Okay? Popeyes, they don't do that to you. They leave that thing. You see how you look at that? This is a big chicken sandwich. Here's what happened in my life. I bit into a fresh Popeye's chicken sandwich, believing that Chick-fil-A was the only sandwich on the planet. Popeye's chicken sandwich changed my life. (laughs) And I'm telling you, I forgot all about Chick-fil-A the moment I had that chicken sandwich in my hands. Chick-fil-A, who really ended up being the question. This is, and I know it's so stupid, but this is the role of something mighty in your life. When you see something that is big, strong, powerful, you begin to question those other things that you thought were big, strong, and powerful. Not only do you start to question those things, you actually start telling other people about your experience. That Popeye's chicken sandwich, I didn't just talk about it. I was like, you got to come with me. We're going to experience this together. I want to watch your face when you bite into that chicken sandwich. Like, I want to worship with you when we do this together. Like, I want to do this together with you. But that's, that's what we do when we are taken by something's strength, by something's might, by something's power. You could do it with athletes. Like, I remember in high school when I was a freshman, there was a senior. A guy jumped higher than anyone I'd ever played basketball with in my life. And all I wanted to do was go watch this guy destroy people. That's what I wanted to do. And I would tell my friends, we got to go watch. We got to go, sh- go to the game on Friday night because Aaron's going to do something incredible. Like this guy jumped so high that he blocked somebody's shot on the backboard and hit his face on that backboard. He had to come out of the game because there was a blood stain from his lip on the backboard. Some of y'all look at the backboard and pass out even thinking about jumping up and trying to touch it. This guy has to come out of the game because he hit his face on the backboard, all right? 
This is the kind of might we talk about. You're like, you gotta come see this guy. You gotta come see, hey, come watch, come join me. We're gonna celebrate. That's mighty. And it is no coincidence that on almost every page in this book, God's might is proclaimed. And I could tell you why it's almost every page. It's because we are so taken by things that are not mighty. You and I are constantly in need of hearing how mighty God is because we're so convinced that so many small things are way mightier than they actually are. The scriptures are full of declarations. Job chapter 9, a book about suffering, right? God says, for God is so wise and so mighty. Who has ever challenged him successfully? Who's ever challenged God successfully? Psalm 147, God counts the stars and calls them by name. How great is our Lord. His power is absolute. His understanding is beyond comprehension. Where's your little idol, little mighty thing right now in view of that? Jeremiah 32 says, I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for From cover to cover, we hear of God's might because we are tempted to believe that things that are insufficient are more mighty than they are. In 1 Samuel, we reach a point in Israel's history, and Israel is all through the Old Testament, and you and I, if we read this book, we start to look at Israel and go, man, we're not just talking about a people, we're actually talking about me. Like in the way I struggle and the way I deal. And because, you know, you, I know, I've heard more people say, it's amazing to me. They had the power of God in front of them and they still didn't trust him. How is that possible? You and I were in the same boat, right? God speaks on Sunday and then Monday we forget that he even exists, right? We're the same. We struggle with the same things. And that's why I'm so glad God captured all of Israel's struggle for you and me to understand that we are so wired to chase after things that are insufficient. But God is constantly saying, come back, come back, come back. And in 1 Samuel, Israel reaches a point in their history where they look around just like the middle schooler and go, I wanna be like everybody else. The problem is Israel was not supposed to be like everybody else. In 1 Samuel chapter eight, Israel comes to Samuel, who is the prophet at the time, and says, we want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. See, the problem was Israel had no king but God. God was the mighty one, not a king. Samuel takes them on a journey and says, look, if you guys go after a king, here's what he's going to do. He's going to take your farms. He's going to take your money. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to take your sons. He's going to take everything from you because that's what kings do. And Israel was like, we don't care. We don't care. We want a king. We want a visible king because we see a very visible enemy. And you learn that they make these declarations to have a king because they are afraid. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, listen to what he says. Samuel says to the people, it was the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron. Samuel continued, he brought your ancestors out of the land of Egypt. I love this. Now stand here quietly before the Lord as I remind you of all his great things that the Lord has done for you and your ancestors. Don't you just want to say that to people sometimes? Would you just stand here quietly and let me remind you of all the things God has done for you? Maybe that should be a phrase we use when we talk together. Whoa, 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 whoa. Do you hear yourself? Would you just stand here quietly while I remind you of all the great things God has done for you? And he does. 
He recounts all the things that they have seen with their own eyes and still trusting in idols. And you find out in verse 12, but when you were afraid of Nahash, the king of Ammon, you came to me and said that you wanted a king to reign over you, even though the Lord your God was already your king. Fear played a huge role in where they put their eyes, who they trusted, and who they believed to be most mighty. A man named Saul becomes the very first king, and he gains a victory in his very first battle, and the people go right where God said they would. Look how strong we are. Look how mighty we are. We have a king just like everybody else. Look what we did. And God is like, I knew this is where you'd go. I tried to tell you. I tried to warn you. And it was a downhill slope from there. Saul makes some really boneheaded decisions, and you can read the story through 1 Samuel 12, 13, 14, but he has a son named Jonathan, and Jonathan becomes a very real picture of the trust of the might of God. We learn that Israel's kind of had some low moments. The Philistine army is out and, out and kind of filling things up, and the, Israel's like, we're very fearful, we're afraid, we don't know what to do. And Jonathan, who I love so much in this story, he says these words in verse 6. Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Now, I want to pause here. That's God is mighty. In a time when everybody is hiding, when everybody's sitting back, when everybody's fearful, when everyone doesn't know what to do, Jonathan's like, did we forget that we're God's people? I think we forgot. I think we forgot who God said we are. I think we forgot who God is and what he's done. And I actually believe we can just go walk up to him. And here's what the armor bearer says in verse 7. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. I really do wonder if on the other side of eternity, if the armor bearer was like, my name was Steve. Like, I was the guy that was like, yeah, I'm right there with you, man. I have faith in God. Why you got to say just the armor bearer? Why couldn't it just be Steve? Why couldn't it be Kevin or John or whatever? Like, put my name. Like, I want to go down in history as saying, I'm with that man because he has faith in God. I'm, wanting, I'm with him. I go with him. And then Jonathan says, okay, all right then. We will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, Stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we'll stop and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us to defeat them. <laughs> this is when Steve is like, so your plan is to let them see us, invite us up for a fight, or stay here. That's your plan. Okay. <laughs> Long story short, the Philistines see him and say, hey, why don't you punks come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. And Jonathan said, the Lord can win a battle if it's just one or many. And long story short, the Lord rescues them that day. The Bible is filled with stories of God's might, his faithfulness, and his promises because we are so quick to forget those things. You and I will walk out of here forgetting everything we just heard. 
And how do you stay connected to the power of God, to the, to the, the faithfulness of God, to the might of God, through his word and through his people? We journey that together. God revealing his might to a nation is intentional. He does it in a world with a bunch of powerless idols. He's not going, hey, you guys are dummies for thinking these things are powerful. He's going, I want you to see the difference between might and not might. I want you to see the difference between the power of God and the powerlessness of your man-made carved statues. That's what I want you to know. And I want you to make an informed decision and I want you to choose me. See, God's not asking you and me for blind faith. He's not just going, hey, I'm God, I exist, and you should follow me. He has recorded over and over and over and over through history his faithfulness, his power, his miracles. Your stories become part of that journey of declaring God's power, God's sovereignty, God's love, God's mercy. He keeps displaying it through creation, through his church, through his son, through his word. And you and I have an invitation to go, I believe that. God, I'm actually having to come to the point where I'm confessing money isn't all I think it is. God, I'm having to come to the point where I'm thinking, man, I thought being the most educated person in the room was the most important thing in the world, but now I'm clueless. I thought that getting with as many people as I possibly could, dating around, swiping right, I thought all of those things were gonna make me the happiest person on the planet, and I'm miserable. God, if those things can't satisfy, if those things aren't mighty to save me, then you must be. And this is what we are confronted with every single day. This is why we've been talking about Mary's song so regularly, because Mary's song is a response to all that she has known and seen about God. Mary sees all the things in history, like if you were a young Jewish woman at that time, there was potential that you were sitting around going, hey, I could birth the Savior. I could birth the rescuer. They knew, Jews knew that, that the, the line of the Savior was gonna come through the, a woman's seed, and so you could sit around and go, could be you, could be me, I don't know. And in the Old Testament, there were people who probably thought, that woman just gave birth to the rescuer of Israel. And then you're like, oh, that guy is a bad man. That is not the rescuer of Israel, right? You start thinking that, and you're going, that's not the guy, that's not the guy, that's not the guy. And Mary hears from God, the guy's coming. And I'm gonna speak a word and you are going to birth Emmanuel, God, with us. And he will be the blessing to not just Israel, but to every nation on the earth. And Mary responds, verse 46, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one, is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. The sad thing is, this girl had a higher view of God than many of the religious leaders of that day. They did not thank God for Jesus coming into the world. They were not impressed with the might of God. Do you want to know why? 
because they were impressed with their own might. See, religious people have this addiction to being impressed by their works before God rather than God's works towards us. This woman had a higher view of God and she saw herself as a lowly servant girl, but God said, you are blessed. And the religious leaders of the day ignored all the work of God because they were so impressed by their own. By their own. When the stories of God's might and our experience of God's might begin to match up, you and I begin to sing praises just like Mary. Unfortunately, the group that was supposed to be leading Israel in declaring God's power was more obsessed with declaring their own. This is why Jesus has to confront these men. And just before Jesus goes to the cross, he confronts these religious leaders, the Pharisees and the followers of Herod. They challenge Jesus on who's mightier, Caesar or God. And Jesus is like, look, you give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but everything is God's. Right? Everybody thinks Caesar is the most powerful. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Caesar is not the most mighty. God is. And then the Sadducees, they step up next. We didn't believe in the resurrection is what they said. They're like, there's no resurrection from the dead. But they asked Jesus about the resurrection. And Jesus says to them a very dangerous phrase. He says this in Matthew 22. Jesus replied to their question about the resurrection. Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. This may just be the church in America's problem. This may just be the heartbeat of our issue as a church in America. We've gone with our own opinions over God's words, and we've gone with our own power over God's power. And this is not just an angry Jesus with the Pharisees and religious leaders. It's a sad Jesus because he's saying, you guys should know this better than anybody else. You should be knowing the power of God in the way you walk, but you have no clue. You're the ones who were tasked to make sure the people knew, man, how awesome is God? How great is God? How worthy of worship is God? And you're the ones who are trying to get people to obey your traditions and your commands, and you've lost it all. And you say you know the scripture. And if you did know the scripture, you would know it points to me. This is an indictment, and it's really sad at the same time. Without even knowing it, you and I can find ourselves in the exact same position, church attending, going through the motions, no awe, only caring about behaviors and routines. And it sounds like the, a lot, but those traditions lack any power when they're not connected to the source. And if we aren't careful, we'll create another generation of people who don't know the scripture and they don't know the power of God. As a teenager, as a student, as a middle schooler, as a high schooler, you better believe you're bored of church because tradition, just doing things, going through the motions, there's no power to it. But surrender allows the power of God to move and shape and call you to do things you never thought possible, to do things where you, would might, you might serve somebody, you might forgive somebody, you might walk in friendship with someone who hurts you. you, you the, the, there is no telling what the Spirit of God will allow you to do and walk you through. 
but it starts by knowing that he is mighty. When the Pharisees learned that Je- about Jesus and that he had shut down the Sadducees, they heard that he was shutting down all the religious leaders here, and they bring about the question of questions to Jesus. And they said, what's the greatest commandment, teacher? Do you want to know what Jesus said? He said, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is where visually my mind runs to basketball. So when, when there is a, something that happens in, in, on, the, on the basketball court, somebody dunks on someone, or if someone crosses somebody over, the team reactions are fantastic. And I actually can see Jesus' disciples doing this in the moment Jesus drops this truth bomb, right? It's over! Jesus just finished it! Jesus just brought the biggest and the baddest answer that these guys could have ever heard. It's over! There is nothing else these religious leaders can do. Jesus just, I mean, like, they're doing, you know, the the fan celebrations, and they're like, you know, oh, you know, they're they're too small, and all this stuff. They're doing everything they possibly can because Jesus just ended the conversation. These guys were trying to trap him, and Jesus says, I want to tell you what's most important. God doesn't have just your attention, but that he has your affection. See, whatever we believe is mightiest, we are drawn to, like a fly to a blue light, right? That bug zapper, they fly right into it because they're like, wow, right? And you're dead, right? (laughs) I mean, some similarities there, but. But the point is, Jesus made it real clear that if they saw the power and the might of God as they were supposed to, their hearts would not be able to withstand him. I am most satisfied in your presence, God, because you are mighty. As we close this morning, three things that I want you to hear very quickly. Why does God's might matter to us? Last week, we talked about, and Jacob opened us up with Savior. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus has just turned away a rich man who has said, what do I got to do? What do I got to do to be saved? What do I got to do to have eternal life? What do I got to do to know that this life is going to stay with me forever? And Jesus says, well, you got a lot of money, got a lot of stuff. Why don't you sell that? Give give all of it to the poor and then come follow me. And the rich man goes away very sad. And then Jesus said to his disciples, in verse 23, I tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. There's no secret little passageway in Israel where a camel gets on its knees and can work its way through and it has to stay low. No, Jesus isn't saying there's a chance. He's saying there's no chance without God's rescue. God is mighty. The first reason God's might matters to us is because he is mighty, he can save. 
Some of y'all are looking at anything to save you. That's why we chase what we chase. It's why you chase the next dollar. It's why you check the ne- chase the next date. It's why you chase the next thing. It's why you chase the next endeavor, the adventure, adrenaline rush. It's why you chase all those things because it's if you can just get this, it'll save me. And the answer to that is no, it won't. And it's a tough reality, but when you start putting your, yourself in a position to see the might of God all the other things begin to fade in their affection and chasing. Second reason, Isaiah chapter 40, listen to these words. Have you never heard? Have you never understood the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth? He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youth will become weak and and tired. Try telling that to a newborn mama. They don't seem to do that very often. And young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Because God is mighty, God can supply his people the strength they need. God does not hog his strength. He's generous with his strength to his people. Your little idols, the affections, the things you're chasing, they are not generous with their strength. They say, mine, and when I'm out, sorry. Sorry, your bank account's empty this week. Sorry, the bottle's empty this week. Sorry, the internet is down this week. I can't do anything for you. God's saying, would you put those down? I want to give you my strength. And then lastly, Psalm 93. But mightier than the violent raging of the seas, mightier than the breakers on the shore, the Lord above is mightier than these. Because God is mighty, I will see the weakness of my idols. I need you to hear me out. When the Lord points out how weak your idols are, the things of your heart that you're chasing, it is not to shame. It is to reveal what is true. It is to reveal that God is mightier than all of those things so that you will turn to him and walk with him. Not walk with those things that can't hold you, but to walk with him both in this life and right into the next. God, in revealing his might, also reveals the powerlessness of the things of this world. It's just what happens. And so in this, my my question to you is this morning, is that internet addiction, is it leaving you empty? Is that bottle leaving you unsatisfied? Is money leaving you desperate? Are relationships leaving you isolated? Is education leaving you questioning? Is pretending to be someone that you aren't leaving you exhausted? Would you just drop it? And would you run to the one who is able to save, who wants to share his strength, and who allows you to see what is true? As Paul said to the church in Ephesus, I say to you this morning, a final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Father, I ask that for your church, that our eyes would be open to the ineffectiveness of our little gods that cannot save, that are no gods at all, but God, that we would take, uh, we would take all the eyes that we've put on these things and we would turn them towards you. 
And that, God, we would be able to see how ineffective all those other things really are. But so, Lord, that we would trust you to do the saving, to do the supplying. And, God, you'd keep our eyes open to when we are choosing, just like Israel would, to chase things that do not satisfy. God, and like Mary, we would be able to rejoice that, God, you are mighty and that you supply. Father, we thank you for Jesus this morning and that he is the might of God. He is the Savior and that we would put our trust in him this morning. It's in your name we pray.